everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 162, Your House Will Pay. On today's episode, we discuss Steph Cha's 2019 novel, Your House Will Pay, a book set in Los Angeles that follows two families on opposite sides of a racially charged shooting. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We're Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, our novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. What's up, guys? Hey! Not too much. Nice to see all of you. It's nice to know that there's two people that will be listening to me now that we've all read that book from our previous episode. Oh, have you changed? Are you changed, man? Uh, here's what I have learned about our listeners from them listening to our last episode, you guys. They have embraced the bad fucking energy. <laughs> okay. Did you get a lot of fan mail? You got a lot of love? Got, a lot, like, got a lot of love for the bad fucking energy. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of it, a lot of it. Can I can I tell you guys briefly what I'm going through right now? Please. Yes. Uh, I uh, have two months to complete the rewrites on my new collection of short stories, and uh, I don't know how to write anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay. Like, yeah. Isn't it crazy how that happens? You just enter this zone where it's like, what words on a page? I can't oh, like. God. Is it because you took a break from writing? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because I, tu- I turned in the book in September, yeah. and I've been working on other stuff, um, but not on fiction. I've been working on some screen- screenplay stuff. And uh, my editor, who's wonderful, great man, wonderful man. If he's listening, one of the top five men <laughs> listening. Tremendous man. Best man. Yeah, best man. He has the best man. Um, he, uh, he'd had the book for... September, October, November, December, January, February, five months. And I got my notes last week and he gave them all to me. And I was like, perfect, great, I'm ready to go. And then I hung up the phone and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do any of that. (laughs) Yeah, man. I'm in the midst of rewriting a screenplay based on studio notes. And it's hell. It's amazing. I mean, mean, with a screenplay, that's like you're being paid to rewrite. Like you're right. never being paid to be a writer as a screenwriter. You're being paid <laughs> to listen to other people's ideas who are paying for the movie and write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. And it's hard. It's so hard. I just don't like, I am, I, I still have this romantic little writer inside of me who's like, <laughs> well, the first draft was everything. Right. Like, I'm a genius and I did it. And that's just never the case. Like you it's have to get, you always have to get notes and you always have to rewrite. And that is the work. Like having the idea and like being able to put that idea on paper, that's like the best fun part of being a writer. The 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 actual work is being able to take somebody's notes and work with them right. to take that feedback and to go back into something that you've already thought was done and redone and so done in your mind and pry it back open and 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 make it all new again. It's awful. It's so, such hell. So some of these stories have already been published. And oh, wow. Yeah, so I, like, I, I feel good. And so my editor, Dan, uh, we're talking. And you've met Dan before, didn't you, Ryder? You've met Dan, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so my editor, Dan's a lovely man. And he said to me, it's so great reading these short stories of yours that are both old and new because I get to see all of your flaws at once. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
And he's like, a ticks. I mean, ticks. <laughs> so, Todd, I'm really curious. What's an example of a note, if you may say, that has you, like, stumped? Um, let's see here. So there's... Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you a specific thing that's actually hard to do. So there's a short story that I wrote um, called uh, The Low Desert that I wrote specifically for this book. And it's about um, the development of the Salton Sea in the 1960s and about sort of organized crime elements in this sheriff who's working out there. And in the middle of writing the short story, I realized, oh, I think I could sell this as a television show. And so now I have, I'm writing this story twice. I'm writing it as a TV show and I'm writing this short story at the same time. And so the things that I want in the short story to influence a TV show, uh, Dan's like, it's too on the nose. It's too obvious character stuff. Like, let's have that be subtext. Let's have that be subtext. Let's have that be subtext. And so this is not, this is, it's, it's like almost like a market driven rewrite in that regard. And that's different from what I do because I had used a short story in effect as like a treatment for a pilot. Uh, if that if that makes sense to our listeners, um, if not to you two, <laughs> um, and um, so there's there's that sort of thing. But then there's also like um, I have a short story that is about 15 pages long, and it's a day in the life of this crook uh, who appears in my gangster books. And Dan's like, no, 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 like we're, you're not going to publish this short story in a magazine. Let's go from 15 pages to 30 pages, and I want you to lose all the satire because it's real. It's a, it's a funny satire-driven story, and he's like, "That satire would work for a fifteen-page short story, but you got to put this in the world of the books that we're writing. You got to take out all the the comedy that you'd want to have in just mm. a quick-hitting fifteen-page wow. short story, which is which That's is pretty a big, huge actually. note. It's 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 a huge note. But the thing is, he's right. Like, if it's just a fifteen-page short story. I can I can have it go absurd, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But because the short story fits into the world of these novels that I've written, it in fact doesn't work. Yeah. And that's like to to recognize like you're writing in a part of a franchise, you can't you can't go surreal or you can't go absurd even though that works mm-hmm. for that short story. It's been a real lesson for me. Hmm. And you'd think I would have known it already at 49 years old, but I wow. didn't. Yeah. Well, that's and so you don't cool. have to Good rewrite luck. improv, so you're lucky, Julia. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the point it is, is you never write. <laughs> you know, it's the thing about improv. I've been teaching a like intermediate class for a while is you have to make edits in your head at like micro speed. So a lot right. of people think you're like just blurting out whatever, but that's really not true. You're just, your mind is working super fast to get the most final draft that you can out of your mouth at the given moment, Um, which is really Yeah, that's impossible. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think you would struggle. Because good improv is just as structurally. I would. (laughs) Oh, I would. I I mean, I've never been able to do improv outside of a class situation. I mean, I did it when I was a teenager in a class situation. I have no, and then I've improv in a scene, you know, like, at, like right. doing making a movie or, or something like that but i i would never want to get up on stage and and do it, what you do no <laughs> I, my i've never been quick 
I'm not like a quick person. I'm the guy who like wakes up in the middle of the night. That's what I should have said. <laughs> so, so like, I'll give you guys a really, s- yeah, that's so funny. I'll, I'll give you a really specific example of like something that was happening in my class last night where I was like working with people on speeding up their brain process on this editing stuff. Um, like they were doing a series of scenes that were about this made sense contextually, like people slapping things out of other people's hands. And mm. so it was like they slapped something really dumb, like a wallet or a piece of paper. But it was like, what would be a better thing that would make more sense and is more heightened to slap out of someone's hand? So they very quickly got to like a proposal and you slap the ring out of their hand, which was really right. funny. But like you have to get you have to make all those moves like kind of taking off from reality really quickly um, until right. it's basically right. instantaneous. And I wouldn't be able to do that on the stage unless it was like before 6 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> I always drink so much coffee. I can't believe people drink alcohol and do comedy, which makes me sound like the uh, biggest loser ever. But it's just like the slowness of the mind. I just yeah. Can't. It used to be, I think, that I I felt like I could be quick all the time, but it's now like after about the first fourteen minutes of Chris Hayes's show, I'm on a I'm on a downward trend into <laughs> being ready for bed in about two and a half hours. Oh God! <laughs> but more importantly, we just read a fantastic book that we didn't have to write. <laughs> or rewrite, or, or rewrite, yeah, or rewrite. Or rewrite. I bet you she wrote the rewrote the crap out of this though, because it is tight. Actually, it, I it is, would it is love to hear tight. the notes she got on this thing. Wow. Um, and I and I I should note uh, at the top uh, that Steph Chaw is my friend. Um, so, which oh, doesn't really? matter because this book, yeah, this book is so good. It wouldn't matter if she were my enemy. I would love this yeah. book. Um, but All it's right, also, me, me, oh, go ahead. I was going to try and give a summary so people yes, know what we're, what we're talking about. All right. So, uh, your house will pay opens in 1991 with a real life riot, uh, which I actually didn't know about, but, um, I looked it up and this is a real life riot that erupted in Westwood mm-hmm. at the premiere of the movie, New Jack City. Uh, and she inserts fictional characters into it. I, the riot erupted because they oversold tickets to the movie theater right. and then refused to let the customers who were mostly black inside. Right. And so that resulted in looting and property destruction, all of which foreshadowed the riots that erupted all over Los Angeles in 1992. Uh, cut to the present day in 2019, where we meet Grace who is the daughter of Korean immigrants. And she is in the midst of attending a service for a young black man who has recently been shot by police in a fictional but very familiar situation. Um, And she has her sister Miriam, who is an outspoken activist for racial justice and who is no longer talking to their mother for reasons which we do not know at first. Uh, And then meanwhile... Outside of L.A., we meet Sean Matthews, who's the other central character of this this novel, and he is helping his cousin Ray reacclimate to life outside of federal prison, where he has been for the last 10 years, missing out on bringing up his two children, who are now teenagers. And we learn that in the 90s, not long after the L.A. riots, Sean's older sister Ava was shot and killed by a Korean liquor store owner. So the novel is centering on Sean 
who is black, and Grace, who is Korean-American, and it weaves their stories and their family stories together in a way that, um, you know, reflects racial tensions and raises lots of questions of justice and fairness. Yes. It's hard to talk about this book without giving too much away. I don't know how yeah. we, how deep we can go spoiler free in this episode. Uh, um, I, well, there's a couple spoilers that we can't, you just can't reveal. Yeah, like so. <laughs> we can talk about the first hundred pages of the book. Yeah, I, I feel like the first yeah seventy to hundred pages. And but what happened in the past to Ava, which maybe. which is all revealed later. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. Let's try and talk about it without revealing too much and, yes. and see how far we get. And then we can sort of introduce a, um, a spoiler you know, a, alert. A spoiler alert. Yeah. So who who wants to start? Does anybody want to? I'll start. Uh, I, in with, I'm yeah. happy to hear Julia talk. <laughs> nice. Listen. Um, I mean, this is one of the most emotionally ambitious books I think I've ever read. Mm, and yeah. I know I'm a yeah. hyperbolic person, but... <laughs> I mean, I don't know what is up with weird categorization of, like, Asian or Asian-American stories. Like, to me, this is not a thriller, um, just like Parasite wasn't a horror movie. I'm just like, this is a book of pain and sorrow and, like, reckoning, as was Parasite. Mm -hmm. Um, But I thought the feel of grace's half of the book of like a coming of age story but it's not about like finding yourself or your sex sexuality Mm -hmm. like coming of age that your parents could secretly be completely fucked up was so compelling and i mean of all the perspectives to choose in this family it was just really riveting for me um and just so painful and so sad and complex. Um, and the other half of the story I love too. Um, again, no easy answers. I think that's really the the point of this novel. Um, it's sort of like a crystal ball that you're like spinning around to find where the top is and there's no top mm-hmm. or bottom of the story. Yeah, um, that's a good metaphor. It's really well put. Well, well, well done, Julia. <laughs> you should be wow. a writer, Julia. That was awesome. You know, I just say stuff. I just say stuff. Um, and it's nice, like I will say like people have so much certainty over social justice and uh, racism and like rightly extremely strong feelings and opinions but to make the choice to have it be so difficult is just really brave I just really admire mm-hmm. this writer um, for yeah. fucking going for it that was my experience of the book how about um, you Todd so I, I, I think it's and this will sound hyperbolic but this is actually what I believe. I think it is the best novel about Los Angeles that I've read in 25 years. Wow. And I, yeah. I, I think it is, it, it actually touches on every aspect of LA culture. Yes. In, in a way that it hangs a mirror without judgment on every aspect of it. Um, and if you understood the geography a little bit better, Julia, it would be even more profound for you. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I had like no experience of this as an LA novel. Like I I was so in character that I wasn't really thinking of the, it as a portrayal of a place. 
Oh, it's it's a huge portrayal of the place. And um, there was another book that came out a few years ago called The Barbarian Nurseries by Hector Tobar uh, that circled around um, a crime in Orange County, which is um, south of Los Angeles, but also encompasses all of Los Angeles and touches on all the, the subcultures. And it, it's the best book since that that I've read, at the very least. And, you know, what Steph does... Um, is she does what so she is a crime writer um but she's also a lawyer and she's also a food critic really yeah um so like um she if you go on to yelp she has like i don't know 12,000 yelp reviews of oh food oh my god that's she, awesome so she um she was taken under Jonathan Gold's wing and um she and Jonathan Gold covered a lot of food together so she's a she's a fascinating person uh, on top of everything else. Her first crime novels that she had written w- were good. They were you know fairly standard crime novels. They were really good. But this is also the evolution of her voice and her style. And you know it it takes this book and it puts it alongside a book like Mystic River by Dennis yeah. Lehane, mm-hmm. which might might be called a crime novel because it's written by a crime novelist, but it's really a, a book about social issues. Um, and so I, I so deeply appreciate all of that. But the thing that strikes me the most is she's got huge ambitions and she never, ever takes the easy way out in yeah. anything across the board. Yeah. She, doesn't, she doesn't take the easy way out writing characters that are outside of her race. Uh, she doesn't take the easy way out in the nebulous nature of crime. Who is right when two people assault each other? You know, like there's all this stuff that's going on. She doesn't take the easy way out about rehabilitation of criminals. You know, all the, like everything that she does is yeah. super complex. It's just a great read. It's just it crackles. Like that's yeah. the other thing. Like you just it just goes. I was just thinking, just to jump in on your last point, like, so I listened to this on audio as I've been doing more. Oh, and more. really? Um, and it was great. Um, audiobooks. Are I actually really did too. I alternated. Together. I read it. I started reading it, and then I ended up listening in the car a bunch. So, mm. and then I went back to reading it to finish it. So it was interesting. Yeah, go keep going. But the scene, um, there's a scene where she, Grace, one of the main characters, goes to church, and yes. there's this like mass. There's so there there are two pieces of writing that I was like, geez, like how did you do this? Uh, so one is she's in church, and it's this scene, this crowd scene of like shame and forgiveness and absolution, but the character is thinking about all the bad petty and criminal shit all the people in the church have done but how they're still yeah. like forgiving each other and i i was just like this is so amazing it would be so easy to write a easy church scene where it's just people mm-hmm. but she like takes those quick dives like oh this person cheated on their wife this person right. you know had a gambling addiction um and the other piece of writing that i was like just the detail was so true to life that I was just flattened. And it's it's random, but it, it caught me. Um, there's a scene in Sean's half where he comes home and there's a cop like talking to his wife. And he sees mm-hmm. that 
His wife has given him the shitty mug she got in a white elephant that no one likes to use. And it's like Mm -hmm. this sign of disrespect that she didn't give him like a good (laughs) cup. And I'm like, yes, that's what anyone would do. Like anyone would do this. Like what a detail. Um, And that kind of writing, I was just like, I was so like in awe of it that she would pick those things out of the world. Totally. How about you, Ryder? yeah, I'm I'm totally I am blown away by this book for a lot of reasons and I like Todd what you were saying about it being an essentially LA book like that mm-hmm. it is it is and what's so cool is like it's a lot of LA that I know and then it's a lot of LA I don't know. I've mm-hmm. never been to a Korean church service, you know. Right. So but I believed it like and you know yeah. I I I I believed every one of the little pockets and like something I've always found interesting as opposed to other cities like if you think about like movies right like new york movies are always like romantic comedies it's like Mm -hmm. two people find each other in the big city it's always like it's always like (laughs) it's always like one really tight story set against this backdrop of sea of human faces la stories are always interconnected people who are not connected so like magnolia shortcuts um Mm -hmm. uh, uh crash which is a disaster, but like, I feel like this movie is, I mean, this book is what Crash wanted to be. You know what I mean? Like this is the LA story Crash was trying to be, but Crash was so thin on characterization and just not, and just so convenient. And this is so inconvenient. Like Mm -hmm. every turn she chooses the inconvenient thing to happen to her characters. And that is so, it's so much more a reflection of real life while also being effortlessly plotted. Like when I found out that she's a crime writer, I was like, yes, that makes sense because it is so well plotted. It is like, just the story structuring is perfect. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and, and like, cause I, I, I'll be honest, the first 60 pages I was reading and I was like, uh, this, this is ambitious. Like this is taking on like these big social justice issues and it's taking on these like, uh, 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 an ensemble of diverse characters. So I was impressed with that ambition, but like the prose itself, I was like, okay, this is like, I was rereading things. I was trying to figure out who I'm following and what, you know, because it's, 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 there's like six characters in the, you know, right. that you're like, oh, who's going to be the, and why is the least interesting character, this Grace character or the Sean, why are they the people? And then mm-hmm. the plot click kicks in yeah. and you get like the first plot reveal of like information right around page 60 or 70. And I was like, oh, oh shit. And then it just didn't let up. It's yeah. it's like positively Shakespearean. In it's, it's, ab- it's absolutely Shakespearean, yes. right? Like, in that's that, the way to because it. Yeah. because you you know how Shakespeare sort of effortlessly has theme mm-hmm. without needing to, like characters are wholly three dimensional and yet they still feel representative in a way, right. and you still are like, I know that person, even though I don't. I have a Korean mother. <laughs> I right. like that's enough like my mom or it's enough like moms in general. And it's specific to you know, it's like it's perfect characterization that feels universal and specific at the same time. And then the plotting just feels inevitable. So right. you feel this inevitable right. collision yes. of these characters and the clock keeps ticking and it keeps getting tighter and you keep on the edge of your seat. Shit you don't want to happen keeps happening. Right. And yet it all <laughs> kind of works out in a way that makes sense and right. is so sad satisfying without being maudlin or it's it's not it's not a clean wrap-up all right so listeners uh we're going to reveal a spoiler right now so if you're going to read the book and you don't want to know something that which you should you don't want to know something that happens on about page 65 stop listening right now you ready 
We love you. Okay. Set. So go. <laughs> of of when it's revealed that um Grace and Miriam's mom and dad have changed their names and that they had shot Ava, uh Sean's sister. Right. So the and- Korean liquor store owner who right after the LA riots shot Sean's sister in this controversial moment that was caught on camera is Ava's mom. I mean, but sorry, she, is Grace's mom. Grace's mom, but, but she's she changed never her knew. name. Yeah, right. She's changed her name, and they now so they had been living in uh, in South Central. They now live in Northridge. So for listeners, um, Northridge is a town uh, in the San Fernando Valley, which could not be any more different than South Central Los Angeles. Right. Um, it's where I went to college, at the best college in all of the city of Northridge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I had a sense, obviously, that that, that intersection was going to... Ha- like, there was no reason to have these characters in the same book unless something like that was going to be revealed. Right. And yet... I was shocked. Right, me too. <laughs> and then, like, she manages to make more reveals that feel even more yes. shocking. And yes. that's what's crazy is, like, that first reveal is actually the most obvious and the least interesting, even though it's huge. It just, she keeps ramping up the mm-hmm. connections between these families. And it's just, it's so complicated. And you have em- empathy for every single one of them. Yeah. Like, every it's- single person. And so, Julia, you're not sort of familiar with the sort of black versus Korean L.A. crime situation of the 90s, are you? No, not at all. It was a it was a huge thing. Huge thing. So like when the L.A. riots jumped off, um, a lot of what happened was that they were burning down Korean owned uh, liquor stores and gas stations and that sort of thing in and around South Central Los Angeles. In fact, a former student of mine, uh, Carol Park. She wrote a book called Memoirs of a Cashier. She was working at her family's uh, liquor store gas station when she was 12 years old when the riots jumped off. And it's a, it's a fantastic book. Anyway, um, and so there was a ton of black on Korean, Korean on black crime uh, that was happening. And the, the incident that uh, Steph fictionalizes in this, which is that the Korean shop owner and this young woman, Ava, um, get into an altercation at the shop. Ava, who's a teenager, punches uh, Grace's mom several times. Grace's mom pulls out a gun and shoots her in the back of the head. Uh, it happens. It, it's based on a, a real crime that happened in uh, South Central Los Angeles. Um, and it was a match that lit the rest of the fires, basically. Yeah. Um, and it set off this this big era of um, you know black and Korean um, intersection and crime. Ice Cube did a full album about it, <laughs> so like there's there's a there's a, a ton of stuff in it. Yeah. But it's also a largely forgotten aspect of what it was largely forgotten in my mind until I reread this book and realized like they were, were still litigating these these racial crimes against one another. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Yeah, and it planted the seeds for a general sort of Asian versus black racial tension that right. I, I still think permeates a lot of Los Angeles. Yeah, you know, it's sure. hard for me for to sure. comment on as a white guy living here, but you hear about it. You hear yeah. about that tension still lingering, still existing, resentments, you know, which mm-hmm. is just awful. I mean, especially considering how much of the LA riots were about white supremacy and right. rising, you know, so the fact that the end result of that tension and, you know, and that uprising is 
more racial tension between minorities is just fucking disastrous. Um, and, it, and it also precipitated a really sh- big uh, geographic shift in where different races lived in and around Los Angeles. So it used to be that South Central Los Angeles was primarily African-American. Essentially, post-World War II, it became primarily African-American. It is now primarily Latinx. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the, and the Asian community often did not live there they just worked there. They owned the shops there. And now most of the Asian, Asian community has moved to sort of the outer rim, the San Gabriel Valley, mm-hmm. um, and then into Koreatown itself, which is, uh, you know, about 15 miles from where all this stuff happened. So for an L.A. reader, like this is all like this is the stuff you see on the news and read about every yep. single day. And Steph, with her characters moving in and around the city, is touching on all these pockets of insurrection both in the 1990s and in 2019, in a really nuanced and elegant and really emotional way and do, and, and with no bias. You know, it's like she's showing the reality of every of every group. And man, that's hard. God, it's so yeah. hard. Yeah. I, I, and so I really appreciate it. And she also has a lot of really good food mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I know. When you said that about being a food critic, I was like, yeah, she really goes into detail about the Korean food in the yeah. book. And I was like, that's right. That makes sense. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's right. Good kimchi is hard to come by. And it will save the world on top of everything else. Um, so an interesting thing. So this book is up for the, um, the Los Angeles Times Book Prize for Best Mystery. It's not a mystery. Yeah. Best mystery. That's I hate that. Right. <laughs> it's not a mystery, right? Is that it's, like is that like a publisher's choice though? Is that like a publisher like deciding to promote a book as a thing, as a genre in order right. to Cuz like this book should be getting so much attention. Oh, I it, it's got it's got a fair amount, yeah. Okay. Um you know, it's hard to say. Um like just to for me, like they I get shelved in mystery and in general fiction. It doesn't matter on Amazon, right? But right. when I'm reviewed, I'm reviewed as a crime writer. But this is a book as much about social issues as any quote-unquote literary fiction is, right? Um, but we're talking or about... So. Yeah, and we're I mean, talking I, about... I think it tackles it head-on. Like, yeah. most most of what we've, like, what we consider literary fiction is, like, New York-based white people living right. in Brooklyn, like, yeah. writing about that, right. you know, like... That's why, like, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, Todd, you can probably speak more to this, but I, I can't help but be like, this is a, a West Coast, like, this is a bias against West Coast literature. Like, this book is fucking amazing. This book is like a, a like a huge accomplishment, and you know, I, I feel like part of the fact that it's an LA book hurts it. I think that because Maybe. the literary establishment is still very, very East Coast centric, New York centric in general, like specifically, and I, I, I just feel like. Yeah, like she's, I don't know, this should be at the top of every critic's list. Um, so, and it's this thing that I, I frequently talk to my students about, like, how is this any different, really, than the class warfare that ends in several deaths in uh, The Great Gatsby, except that it's not about white right. people, right? <laughs> you know? Right. And The, the Great Gatsby is literary fiction, but this is crime fiction? I, I mean, it, it's a very weird thing, you know? Yeah, it's... Uh, and it's it, and to talk about ghettoization of a book, right. <laughs> when it talks about ghettoization of people, is you know it's it's an interesting thing. But it's I I think because it has the propulsion of a thriller, 
Well, it's not even it's not even a thriller. It has the propulsion of a of a crime novel in a way. Um, and there's crimes involved, and there's eventually there's a murder, and we won't reveal about who. Um, another murder. Um, because people die, you know, I think it gets loosely shelved there. Um, but it's you know, it it's one of those things where when I have to go someplace and argue about why I teach crime fiction as literature in an MFA program, this is a book I, I point to because yeah. sure. what it says on the spine is not the value of the words inside of it. Right. You know? Hmm. Yeah. So it's a, that's that's an interesting thing for like you guys don't care if you're reading a crime novel or literary fiction if it's good it doesn't matter what it is no I'm no actually, I mean this is what, I have a hard time with all yeah. genres I just yeah. think all genre labels should go away you know yeah. I've said it before like I hate the YA label I hate all <laughs> no, of you, it like yeah. no no you hate YA. No, I hate the label because I feel like, well, the reason I hate most YA literature is because it capitalizes on the fact that it's a label to have shitty writing. Like go. if you did go in. Let me get something to sit on. That writing should really be good writing. Easy. Here we go. That was, boy, I just lit it and then he just, uh, boom, <laughs> like a dirt yeah. log. And you're like, here, kitty, kitty. Like, boom. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, Todd, Todd likes to occasionally make the listeners hate someone else besides him. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's true. I mean, I do, like, yes, I agree. I, labels are very irritating, but I do, it does create an expectation that if then the expectation is not fulfilled, it is very frustrating, you know, to mm-hmm. be like, oh, I chose this to kind of have some kind of who done it or heavily plotted thing. Like, I would hate that a reader who loves, you know, a, tr- a true mystery would pick this up and kind of feel mad at the book while they're reading it instead of just enjoying what it is, which is what I think this mislabeling mm. does. You know what I mean? Right. I hate that. Like. It's it's very irritating to me. I want well, the labeling I, to be correct if it's going to exist. Right. I use the the comparison to Mystic River because I think they're actually of a kind, you know. So there's a shooting that happens later on in the book. We won't tell you uh, what happens, but there's there's like two possible people who did it, um, and it doesn't in fact matter as you re- at, by the right. time the mm-hmm. book is over who actually did the crime. The the title says it. Your house will pay. It doesn't say which house. It turns out all the houses will pay. Everything is right. fucked. Right. And in Mystic River, which I know many of you have probably read, or uh, probably a lot of you have seen, the crime, the murder of a young woman, which happens to have been caused by her brother, or the brother of her boyfriend doing it, because he didn't want uh, his brother to leave with this girl. So it's a it's like a stupid reason to kill someone, obviously. But it's actually systemic from the culture that they've grown up in of doing the worst possible thing for the smallest injustice, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and the the perpetuation of violence to solve problems and all this other, you know, weird shit. Um, Like by the time you get to the end of your house will pay, what Steph Chaw has done is drawn a picture of the modern world of living in Los Angeles about a crime that is is 
has actually no impact on my life or your life, you know, mm-hmm. and but which is endemic of systemic racism, you know, mm-hmm. and and you're forced to look at the things you don't want to look at. You're forced to look at the things that you avoid as a human being. And like, that's what great crime fiction or any fiction supposed to do. It's like, make you look at yourself, draw that empathetic mm-hmm. bridge. And so that that's why I so appreciate it. It also has a fucking kick-ass cover. <laughs> that's not a good cover. Um, I want to talk about, there's a section of the book that I was so struck by, um, which is there's a character introduced, um, his name is Circe, is that it? Yeah. The, and he is a writer who has made his career writing about Ava's murder. Yeah. And it is such an interesting dynamic because Sean's mom is entirely supportive of this man because it is getting the message about systemic racism and about uh, Ava's death. And, and, and it's, it's spreading the word that this, this right. white guy has written the book, has benefited the cause that Ava's mom is, is, is fighting for. But Sean has such a different reaction. He hates yeah. this guy because yeah. it is uh, profiting. This guy's career has been made and he's profiting off of his sister's death. And right. he feels like it's not, even though it's honoring his sister in some form, he feels it's exploit exploiting yeah. his sister. And I just was like, holy shit, how do you, like, I can see both sides of this. Yeah. I can see all sides of this. And I, and I could see that he could have those feel like Sean could have those feelings, but also see the other side of it and like mm-hmm. not be able to do anything about it. And like, I just like that to me was such an insightful way into these people's lives. Um, and, 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 and you, yeah, you just don't, you never settle. The empathy is so spread. It is yeah. so widespread in this book, and you know it's it's a it's a close third person, mostly with Sean and Grace, but it, it manages to make everybody everybody empathetic, and you can see their points of view completely, and it doesn't make uh, it you know it's a mess. Like yeah. we live in a messy city with messy social issues, and like you know that's why you know part of the reason why I was like Ugh, in the first fifty pages, I was like because it really it introduces like the Proud Boys, mm-hmm. and they're you know, and I was like, oh, is this going to be like a like a the hate you give for grownups kind of thing, you know, which I actually didn't read the hate you give. I did see the movie. I saw the movie. Come on. Continue. But, you know, but you know what I'm talking about yeah. where it was like, I, I, you know, when I saw the movie, the hate you give, I had some issues with it. And I was like, uh, here we go. I'm bashing the YA again. But like, I was like this, a lot of this feels very convenient. And a lot of this is, you know, in the name of social justice, like sort of creating characters and convenient situations in order to like tie this all up with a bow by the end. And this book does not do that. Um, yeah. It very, very actively works against that tendency. And, and is, you know, I would not call this a social justice warrior book by no. any means. No. It, you no. know, though that is an aspect of this book and those characters are well represented within this book, but the book itself is, has, as a sort of broader it's it, it has a broader canvas than that it is it is not simply ha- have an agenda uh, that is that easily sort of compartmentable compartmentable compartmentalizable whatever yeah that you too know. so yeah. here here's this little section about um when sean encounters the writer of the book and he's with um he's with his sister uh he said it says um farewell waltz the life and death of ava matthews the definitive account of ava's murder 
her killer's trial, its impact on her community, on Los Angeles, on the 92 riots, built from Searcy's reporting at the Los Angeles Times. It was a bestseller, a prize winner, widely praised as seminal and important. Sean had read it too, more than once, and he might have been on board if it were about someone else's sister. Um, and so then the character says, um, I actually read Farewell Waltz. And Searcy replies, thank you. That means a lot to me. And I have to say, I'm impressed. It's not exactly light reading. Guys, I've been in that situation. <laughs> Guys, I have, I, have, I, have, I have been in... I've been in places with that writer oh, yeah. saying that thing well, I love that to that the, person. The, the only two white characters in the book are the most pretentious white writers. Oh my god! Because there's the the boy Miriam's boyfriend who you know has like fifteen dollar whiskeys in Silver Lake and <laughs> like just sits around his house all day like writing, not getting anything done. I was like, yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's 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 a little bit of satire, but of course it's true and. You know, I know 500 different writers who write those books. There was one time, actually, I was um, at an event with, like, 60 different authors. It was, like, it's one of these weird luncheon things where, you know, people pay $200 and they get to sit with you at a table and there's 60 authors. And one of the authors had written a um, a book like this about a, a well-known murder that had happened. Um, and one of the other authors was married to um, the person who had done the killing. <laughs> so it was a little awkward. Yeah, I, I'd say who all these people are, but I don't want to wreck their privacy. And those two wow. people had a conversation that, well, I'll tell you guys off the radio. <laughs> those two people had a conversation that was not pleasant. <laughs> no kidding. Oh and it, and yeah, it was it was an unusual experience, but you know, it was a true crime novel or not true crime novel, true crime book, and then a novelist who happens to be married to this person who's the daughter of the presumed killer. And um you know, it it was a pretty sensational moment that's a great uh, scene for a movie right there yeah <laughs> i want to i want to write that scene that's great yeah yeah it was, it was awkward but like this is the circles people move in in in, the, in these in these worlds so i i love that moment it i think mm-hmm. it's you know it, it reeked of truth to me and i can't wait to tell you guys who the real person is <laughs> <laughs> i mean a, a similar scene that i was this is less funny and more you know very sad and depressing again. Um, but like there's a scene where Grace visits Sean for Oh at home, yeah. Basically to apologize. And it's amazing because Grace is a pretty sympathetic character, but you know, not really. Um, and <laughs> you suddenly see her from his point of view, and it's like so violating in a, a certain way. Right. In a way that's really good. Um, for a reader, like tipping the scales and you know, like you just know how much she wants him to say certain things and he just says other things that I, I don't want to right. get away because I want people to enjoy the book, but it's like so relentless in its empathy with every character. Like as much as you want these two people to reconcile, it's just never going to fucking happen. And there's no, know, there's no great. catharsis, no, no easy catharsis. Right. And that's, right. that's in the, a lesser writer's hands. They would have gone for that catharsis. Well, here's, yes, exactly. I, I will say though, there is, there is an emotional catharsis and it mm-hmm. totally crept up on me because I was sitting there 
trying to figure out what I wanted to have happen, like at the mm-hmm. end, like because it's very complex, and you're like, what is justice? What is what is going to make all this right? Is the question mm-hmm. you're sort of asking, and by the end, it just seems that there is no easy answer. But man, in the the last scene. And yeah, I was, I, so I, good. I, I, w- I had tears streaming down my face. I don't cry mm. often from books, you know, like, and I was so emotional and I can't even tell you exactly why it was just, yeah. it's built to a real emotional catharsis that I, I needed these people to be in each other's space and to see each other, which is kind of all that happens, like all the, and, and, and it just, it's, it's beautiful. It is really mm-hmm. a beautiful moment at the, that the book reaches without any sort of easy solution to their actual situation. Yeah. Um, but and that, it, yeah. and this won't ruin it for uh, listeners because you won't get the context, but in, in any other scene where the, a great metaphor, like the flag of the state of California is on fire. <laughs> if you can make that work, as the <laughs> final enduring image of a book, like you can do anything. Like I, I was the same way. I was like, <laughs> the Republic. Yeah. <laughs> I was lying in bed. It was early in the morning. I was literally like tears just streaming. I was like, oh my god, I didn't expect this. This is so good. That's Hug great. your family. Uh, Hug your family. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, it's super powerful and and super challenging. And you know, for the listeners out there. I know this is uh, like a hard time to want your entertainment to cause you to have large moral questions. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? But this is super entertaining. The plot yeah, is so good. it's super entertaining. Yeah. yeah it, it really it's super moves. Entertaining. It, if you, if, actually, if you like The Wire, for instance, right. you'll love yeah. uh, Your House Will Pay. Um, or, you're, yeah. or, you know, a, a variety of, of those sort of multi-point-of-view crime shows. Yep. You'll you'll love it, but more importantly, I, I think like this is the right time for a book like this to be read and to to be thought about because even as your super liberal friends Todd Ryder and Julia are constantly talking about acceptance and all that sort of stuff, we all have a tendency to silo ourselves off from other people's realities when the world gets too much, and you start to lose the ability to empathize with people on the other sides of you know crazy things like what happens in this book and so it's really worthwhile i think to read it and to put your mind in that space for eight hours of reading time Mm -hmm. so good that's my belief literary disco is produced and edited by justin alvarez for lit hub radio you can reach out to us directly on twitter at literary disco happy reading everybody thanks for listening